1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous <laughs> <TV> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, and literally
2: no games this week, Mr. Hamflit. Call us the front of the plane, because we really are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram, at Podcast Horseman, and you can follow either of your hosts. There too, you can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit.
3: At Michael Hamflit. Uh, You can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love you to subscribe. On Spotify, where it'd be great if you could follow. On Amazon Music, where, you know, I'm not going to bitch this week. Just use the music service. I've heard it's pretty decent if that's your sort of thing. Um, Pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find Podcast Horseman, including on Acast where you can also subscribe through them and on the at Podcast Horseman Twitter account. Every Friday, the podcast will go up as a link. You can stream it through there. You can download it if you wish, but it's there. It's easy to access. And we would love you to quote tweet it for all your followers. Um, For regular listeners, and if you're not a regular listener, get yourself all the way back to episode one, but regular listeners will note that we have our Hollywood talk of fame. Typically, we end up people for leaving five-star reviews, and we, of course, welcome any of those. They're always good for cheating the charts and making us look more listened to than we are. But if you want to give a quote, tweet to the episode when it goes out on Friday, send that one out to your followers. Put a few little words in there to let people know that you're listening to Podcast Awesome. You stand a chance of getting one of our very special season five stars on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Another one of them coming at the end of this episode.
2: Yes, indeed, there is. But we sort of alluded to it at the start there. This is all business, Michael. This is, mm. it's a big biggin'. Every now and again, you'll get a big episode mm. of Podcast Horseman that comes directly off the back of a big episode of BoJack Horseman, and this is one of those weeks. We have episode six of season five, which is called Free Churro. BoJack delivers a eulogy at a funeral. Michael, and that is the shortest, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) uh, Netflix synopsis to date, which is quite ironic, really, isn't it?
3: It is. I can't see any reason why this episode would be any different to all the rest. Let's get on to our cold open as normal. However, it starts with a flashback, and that's never good, is it? Um, A young Bojack is sat all kitted out, having played football for the day, having uh, soccer practice. Um, and he sat alone on a bench as it becomes very apparent that he's the last one to be picked up from that practice. Of course he is. We know his parents. It's Butterscotch in this case, not Beatrice, that comes to pick him up. Um, It beckons him over the car as if even the fact that he's not right next to it is an inconvenience to him. And we find out that it very literally is an inconvenience. It turns out that Beatrice was supposed to go and pick Bojack up from soccer practice, but she's having, as uh, Butterscotch calls it, one of her episodes because she's seen a doll's house with her friends. Obviously, any exposure to any form of art is too much uh, for Beatrice to cope with as far as Butterscotch is concerned. Um, She's locked herself in the bedroom to weep. Apparently she is weeping so loudly just so Butterscotch can hear. Um, He's had to, can you believe this, had to make his own sandwich as a result of this. The whole rant that he is having at BoJack is just laden with all this sort of dated, misogynistic tendencies that we've come to expect, sadly, from the dialogue in these flashbacks. I say dialogue. But it's not because Butterscotch is the only one talking. He's ranting at a young Bojack who sat in the passenger seat, staring out the window, wishing he was anywhere but in that car. When just five minutes earlier, he was needing that car to come and get him. This poor child has nowhere to go. Um He just goes on this lengthy rant about how he shouldn't be getting any mixed up. Bojack shouldn't be getting any mixed up ideas about gender just because scotch has come and done the so-called woman's work uh he notes that this is a sunday so it's an inconvenience to him because it's typically a writing day um but he's lucky bojack that um the weeping the loud womanly expressions as he refers to it as uh he's lucky that he's getting taught this lesson by beatrice this is a teachable moment this is how this is framed to the young bojack as young bojack just sits there Halfway between furious, then terrified, then furious, then terrified, as his dad just rants on about his writing process, about how his whole day has been disturbed, and butterscotch, as if this is this whole spiel and this this like angry lift has been some sort of again like a lesson or a, a, a touchstone in Bojack's life, like indignantly awaits some sort of response, and when he doesn't get one, screams, "Thank you!" in his son's face, as if his son's been rude to him for not adoring and worshipping him as a father figure, for daring to come and pick him up when it was his mother's role. Um, we asked these from time to time. This wasn't a cold open. This was a stone cold open. Absolutely freezing insight, yet again, into Bojack's troubled youth.
2: Freezing indeed. But at least we all learned a valuable lesson here, Michael, which... As Butterscotch saw so obviously brilliantly and intelligently pointed out that when he had to force himself to make his own sandwich on that particular day, because Beatrice was obviously God God forbid she should be having any thoughts outside of her station of being <laughs> being Butterscotch horseman's woman. Um he realized when he had to make his own sandwich. So you just can't rely on anybody, Michael. It's a lesson that he <laughs> had to teach his son. You cannot rely on anyone in this world. And I think that's that was the huge positive takeaway. For all of us from that opening segment, right? Yeah.
3: Why wouldn't we thank him for this? (laughs) He was was right.
2: He's picked him up. He's made a sandwich for himself. He's interrupted his own work. I mean, this is all garbage, isn't it? This is awful, awful parenting. Like to see and to even have to be a a fly on the window, I guess, of this car as it's driving along and seeing the verbal tirade that he's thrown at Bojack. Yeah, it's just a waste. I mean, I, I know we expect the flashbacks to be bad these days. You know, we've got we've got tenure here when it comes to Bojack Horseman and Podcast Horseman, but God, this was horrible. It was a hard watch.
3: <clears throat> devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, and that leads us quite nicely to the episode, which as you pointed out in the synopsis, has some rather devastating circumstances. Bojack has got to read the eulogy at a funeral, and I guess that's where we should take a bit of a break from our regular format. Um, for those that don't know, if somehow you are listening before you watch Free is very interesting episode isn't it and it's given us pause for thought about how we review this particular episode for podcast horsemen
2: Yes. So, usually, for anybody who watches, or watches, well, if you watch this show, congratulations. <laughs> I am referring to the podcast, of course. If if you're a regular now, you'll know that we usually break it down. We have the classic BoJack segment, where we start off, Michael will go through all of BoJack's stuff, and what happened to all of the characters in between. And then, at the end of that segment, we usually do a nice section of horsing around, where we go back and look through, and give you all of the Easter eggs and small things that might have happened within the episode. But... For those who know and for those who don't know, this is a very different episode. There is not a huge deal outside Mm. of a certain four particular walls, and we are going to approach this one in a different way. Much as this episode does something different, we are going to try and do something different with the podcast this time through
3: yeah i guess this is a spoiler free podcast we're about to give a little bit of a spoiler hit. something you might not know in your first watch of free churro for the first maybe five minutes until the reality of the situation sets in it's a monologue it's a half an hour episode of bojack horseman that exists entirely in one room in one space and it's bojack speaking delivering the eulogy as netflix doesn't spoil for you in the synopsis um that's the whole thing that's the whole episode and um, what we decided that we try and do, rather than trying to retell the stories that BoJack is telling in this eulogy, is that we just do the eulogy. Myself and Nicholas are going to split this up over parts, like the various parts of the eulogy that Bojack is about to deliver. Um, we hope that it'll be some enjoyment to you. We're still gonna offer the analysis as best we can, but if for nothing else, we didn't want to do like a magnificent episode of television any disservice. And I think the worry from both of us was that by trying to pick apart Bojack's stories and the little details and the little breadcrumbs that he drops in his in his monologue, we would lose some of the details that make this such a fascinating insight into Bojack, the character, and indeed into the creation of Bojack Horseman in the show. So we're going to give that a go. We're going to take this eulogy piece by piece. Shall I, uh, shall I kick us off?
2: I think you should. But I guess the only thing I'll say on top of that is just every word in this felt like it was important every word in this felt like it mattered and we just wanted to do it justice really so in terms of the way we're going to lay this out we will obviously go through it we'll read it and then there are still some few a few things for you a little couple of fun bits that we found throughout that as well which we will tack on at the end as usual so you won't completely go without any horsing around this episode but obviously a little bit lighter because it's very heavy on the monologue shall we say
3: And I should point out, just before I start, with thanks to Will Arnett, an actual professional actor who delivers his lines in the show better than I could ever (laughs) hope to as we start here. Uh, Yeah, let let me also just preface that by saying
2: apologies, Will Arnett, (laughs) because we will not be able to do this any justice to what his vocal performance was throughout the episode. But still, we're going to give it a go in our lovely northern tones and we'll see where we get to, shall we?
3: On the off chance that you haven't watched this, somehow, please go do that. And then come back. We will allow you to pause for as long as it takes to go and enjoy the episode. Come back. Are you back? You're back. Let's get cracking. Right. So it's BoJack delivering the eulogy. He's in a funeral home to set the scene. There is a coffin uh, sort of laid out, as you would expect at the front. He's stood at the, the altar type thing, and the microphone, and he begins. So I stopped at the jack-in-the-box on the way here. And a girl behind the counter says, Hiya, are you having an awesome day? Not how are you doing today? No. Are you having an awesome day? Which is pretty sh- because it puts the onus on me to disagree with her. Like, if I'm not having an awesome day, suddenly I'm the negative one. Usually when people ask how I'm doing, the real answer is, I'm doing sh. But I can't say I'm doing shit I don't even have a good reason to be doing sh. So I say, I'm doing sh. And then they say, why, what's wrong? And I have to be like, I don't know, all of it. So instead, when people ask how I'm doing, I usually say, I'm doing so great. But this girl at the Jack in the Box asked me if I was having an awesome day. And I thought, well, today I'm actually allowed to feel shit. Today I've got a good reason. So I said to her, well, my mom died and she immediately burst into tears. So now I have to comfort her, which is annoying. And meanwhile, there's a line of people forming behind me who are all giving me these real judgy looks because I made the Jack in the Box girl cry. And she's bawling and she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. I mean, it's not fine, you know, it's fine. I would like to order a double Jack meal and I've kind of got somewhere to be. So maybe less with a crying and more with a frying her. Huh? She takes a breath at that point. And the girl apologizes again, and she offers me a free churro with a meal. And as I'm leaving, I think, I just got a free churro because my mom died. No one ever tells you that when your mom dies, you get a free churro. It's at that point that people murmur, and he sort of clears his throat and gets ready to deliver the next bit. And there it is. There's the bombshell dropped in the first passage. It's not just any funeral. It's not just any funeral home. It's not just any (coughs) coffin. Beatrice Horseman is dead.
2: Beatrice Horseman, R.I.P. My God. Mm -hmm. We are literally going through this play by play. And what a way to open up the monologue as well. Uh, Genuinely, like the blend here of of my mom's dead, but also he has a lot of bits, uh, which (laughs) I guess you're going to see a recurring theme, shall we say, as we go on throughout this. Bojack giving his mother's eulogy. What a moment this is going to be.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I like um, I like that even sort of in the first section as well, there's that sense that he's in a situation where he's getting worried about his, I know he's a horse, but like his, his white male guilt about the prospect mm. of a queue of people <laughs> seeing the celebrity making the girl in the shop cry. Mm-hmm. Like he's, every, literally everything he attaches his anxieties and insecurities to. Like, because he sees something else when he sees a scene like that, no matter what the strangers in the queue and the jack-in-the-box see. Of course, and it's all about him, remember. That's what you got to
2: remember. It's all about him. So of course, he's, of course, that's all he's thinking about. Anyway, we carry on. <clears throat> anyway, I'm sorry, that's not part of the... <clears throat>. Alright, okay, here we go. Let's do this. Here I am, Bojack Horseman, doing a eulogy. Let's go. Hey, piano man, can I get the, like an uh, organ flourish? The organ plays. Nicely done. You know, I was a little worried I wouldn't have the right accompaniment today. I guess it's a good thing my mom was an organ donor. <laughs> R- rimshot, please. What happened to the organ? Horn augers. <laughs> okay, why don't you just leave the comedy to the professionals, okay? This is a funeral, say, for my mother. Can you show a little respect? Trumpet whines. Uh, I'll take it. Beatrice Horseman. Who was she? What was her deal? Well, she was a horse. Uh, she was born in 1938. She died in 2018. One time she went to a parade and one time she smoked an entire cigarette in one long inhale. I watched her do it. Truly a remarkable woman. Lived a full life, that lady. Just all the way to the end, which is uh, now, I guess. Really makes you think, though, huh? Life, right? Goes by, stuff happens, then you die. Okay, well, that's my time. You've been great. Tip your waitress. No, I'm just kidding around. There's no waitress. But seriously, that's all I have to say about my mother. No point being a dead horse, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) he takes a breath. Now what? I don't know. Mom, you got any ideas? Anything? Mom, no? Nothing to contribute? Not once if you're proud of me. Can I just say how amazing it is to be in a room with my mother and I can just talk and talk without her telling me to shut up and make her a drink. Hey, mom, not once if you think I should shut up. No, you sure? I mean, I don't want to embarrass you by making this eulogy a me (laughs) So seriously, if you wanted me to sit down and let someone else talk, just knock. I won't be offended. No, your funeral. Sorry about the closed casket, by the way. She wanted an open casket, but, uh, you know, she's dead now. So who cares what she wanted? No, that sounds bad. I'm sorry. I I think that if she could have seen what she looked like dead, she'd agree. It's better this way. She looked like this. And I'll pause here to say, just look at the visual. (laughs) The twisted, contorted, horrible face here is absolutely amazing. It continues. Kind of like a pissed off toy dinosaur. The coroner couldn't get her eyes closed, so now her face is forever frozen in a mask of tremendous horror and anguish. Or as my mom called it, Tuesday. Tuesday. My mom called it Tuesday. Hey mom, what did you think of that joke? You like it? You never did care for my comedy. And that is the end of another stretch of Jack's monologue in here. And the jokes, Michael, as the pain seems to be amplifying, so too is his little sketch bit of comedy.
3: I I love how it graduates. This is a guy that like tried to get his break in Hollywood and stand up and if you've ever watched a really good stand-up show, the whole point is you like you send them home on the big gag. There's this big payoff. You planted a seed earlier in the show, and then the tree grows at the end, and everybody goes home happy. In this case, his was that she was frozen in anguish in her death. That was <laughs> what you built up to was this idea of her like whatever you think is in that coffin, it's more horrifying. <laughs> it's like whatever's in your mind's eye, I've got I've got something worse for you. And I didn't draw the comparison. Um, After three watches for this episode, until you just said it, of how there is a certain mirroring between Beatrice's death and her mother's life, frozen in horror and anguish. Obviously, in her mother's case, because of the lobotomy, in her case, because of the death. that She kind of like, she ended up dying how her mother lived, which is really sad, isn't it? It's really sad. But it's poetic, Michael, so it must be good, (laughs) Right? Right? Right.
2: (laughs) Uh, what I will say is, as you'll notice here, and again, we're trying to do it justice, but the amount of wordplay and clever little shifts in tense as you go through each bit is just, it's hard enough trying to read it, never mind actually take it in as the listener or the viewer. Um, mm. And it's just the level of detail, man. Just, I really, can't, reading it now, I guess has given us even more of an appreciation as well for Will Arnett's work too.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... It's, we should point out as well, Just it, it's only, I guess, need saying once or twice throughout the episode. Very little movement. Um, they'll switch. You'll know the terminology better than I will, but they'll kind of switch. You get a three views of Bojack, ultimately. You get a side-on view where the coffin's in shot. You get a sort of wider shot of him where it's him front on with the coffin to one side. And then every now and then there'll be like a slow zoom as he's making a point or he's going deeper into the story. That's about it. Um, the fourth wall isn't yet broken and um, you can see both sides of the funeral home either side of him that's pretty much it you're not you're being asked very much almost clockwork orange style to have yourself like you are to be exposed to the dialogue the pain the anguish and the eulogy and nothing more in the way that it's presented.
2: Yeah you'll immediately notice the selection of rules that have clearly been placed on this episode very specifically so you will familiarize yourself immediately with what's on shore and what isn't on shore, and it's Just We haven't gone anywhere. We're still in the funeral home, where we will be staying for the majority. (laughs) I say the majority, for all of this podcast.
3: So Bojack resets, and he starts again. He says, uh, here's a story. When I was a teenager, I performed a comedy routine from a high school talent show. There was this uh, cool jacket that I wanted to wear because I thought it would make me look like Albert Brooks. For months, I saved up for this jacket. But when I finally had enough, I went to the store, and it was gone. They just sold it to somebody else. So I went home, and I told my mother, and she said, let that be a lesson. That's the good that comes from wanting things. She was really good at dispensing life lessons that always seem to circle back to everything being my fault. But then, on the day of the talent show, my mother had a surprise to me. She had bought me the jacket. Even though she didn't know how to say it, I knew this meant she loved me. That's a good story about my mother. It's not true, but it's a good story, right? <laughs> I stole it from an episode of Maud I saw when I was a kid where she talks about her father. I remember when I saw it thinking, that's the kind of story I want to tell about my parents when they die. But I don't have any stories like that. And all I know about being good, I learned from TV. In TV, flawed characters are constantly showing people that they care with these surprising grand gestures. And I think that part of me still believes that's what love is. But in real life, the big gesture isn't enough. You need to be consistent. You need to be dependably good. You can't just screw everything up and then take a boat onto the ocean and save your best friend. or solve a mystery. And fly to Kansas. You need to do it every day, which is so hard. When you're a kid, you convince yourself that maybe the grand gesture could be enough. That even though your parents aren't what you need them to be over and over and over again, at any moment, they might surprise you with something wonderful. I kept waiting for that. The proof that even though my mother was a hard woman, deep down, she loved me and cared about me and wanted me to know that I made her life a little bit brighter. Even now, I find myself waiting. Hey, mom, not once if you love me and care about me and want me to know that I made your life a little bit brighter. It's it's no knock. (laughs) My mother did not go gentle into that good night. She went clawing and fighting and thrashing, (laughs) hence the face. but this uh, i should point out at this point we do get this sort of owls chirping there's groaning, there's mourners gasping sort of in shock at how bojack could be almost callous with the use of these gags to to get himself through these the very difficulty of these lines if you'd seen her i swear to god the only thing you'd be thinking about right now is that i am nailing this impression (laughs) there's no further reaction it continues i was in the hospital with her
2: those last moments and they were truly horrifying full of nonsensical screams and cries but there was this moment, this one instant of strange calm, where she looked in my direction and said, "I see you." That's the last thing she said to me. "I see you." Not a statement of judgment or disappointment, just acceptance and the simple recognition of another person in a room. "Hello there," you are a person, and I see you. Let me tell you, it's a weird thing to feel at 54 years old that, for the first time in your life, your mother sees you. It's an odd realization that that's the thing. You've been missing the only thing you wanted all along to be seen. And it doesn't feel like a relief to finally be seen. It feels mean, like, oh, it turns out that you knew what I wanted and you waited until the very last moment to give it to me. I was prepared for more cruelty. I was sure that she would get in one final zinger about how I let her down and about how I was fat and stupid and too tall to be an effective Lindy Hopper. How I was needy and a burden and an embarrassment. All that I was ready for. I was not ready for. I see you. Only my mother would be lousy enough to swipe me with a moment of connection on her way out. But maybe I'm giving her too much credit. Maybe it wasn't about connection. Maybe it was a, I see you. Like an, I see you. Like, you might have the rest of the world, fools, but I know exactly who you are. That's for my mom's speed. Or maybe she just literally meant, I see you. You are an object that has entered my field of vision. She was pretty out of it at the end, so maybe it's dumb to try and attribute anything to it. Back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show called Horsin' Around. Please hold your applause. And I remember one time a fan asked me, hey, um, you know that episode where the horse has to give Ethan the pep talk after Ethan finds out his crush only asked him to the dance because her friends were having the dogiest date contest? In all the shots of the horse, You can see a paper coffee cup on the kitchen counter, but in the shots of Ethan, the coffee cup's missing. Was that because the show was making a statement about the fluctuant subjectivity of memory and how even two people can experience the same moment in entirely different ways? And I didn't have the heart to be like, no, man, it's just some crew guy left the coffee cup in the (laughs) shot. So instead, I was like, yeah. And maybe this is like that coffee cup. Maybe we're dumb to try and pin significance on every little thing. Maybe when someone says, I see you, it just means I see you. Then again, it's possible she wasn't even talking to me because, if I'm being honest, she wasn't really looking at me. She was looking just past me. There was nobody else in the room, so I want to think she was talking to me. But honestly, she was so far gone at that point, who knows what she was seeing? Who were you talking to, Mom? Not seeing her. Staying Mum? <laughs> No rim shot there. God, whatever I'm paying you, it's too much. And we take a break there. But, <laughs> I mean, between between your chunk chunk, and my chunk there, we are getting... I feel like we're going through one of the strangest um, therapy sessions the world has ever seen. <laughs> but he's his own therapist as well at the same
3: point. <laughs> Doing so at his... Mother's funeral in the middle of her eulogy being yep. delivered by him. It's very. I like this a lot because we're getting, unusually for Bojack, unless they're doing it for a gag, we're getting a lot of exposition because of course we have to. There's there's no other way to paint a picture than the words. Um, but it's as if like we don't have a time frame yet um, of how long it was between this and Beatrice's actual death. But it's as if Bojack has come straight from the hospital to deliver this eulogy. Yeah. And that can't that can't be the case. And yet it doesn't feel like he's got any of this out of his chest off his chest. It feels like a stream of consciousness, hence the gags, because they feel like a nervous tick almost. Mm. They feel like an an escape hatch from him getting too close to his emotional core. Every bit time a he kind of like,
2: mechanism almost.
3: Yeah, he's just about to like reach a bit of a breakthrough and then he tears himself away from it with a joke because he panics about what he might find when he gets there. Um and yet we're getting like the kind of grisly, it's brilliant as well, like the grisly details of the present mixed with flashbacks without a flashback. It's like, I'm going to tell you something about my mother and we don't even need to create the visual. We don't need to do what we would normally do in the show like we did in the cold open and show you what's happening because Bojack can tell you it in the context of an anecdote about his dead mother.
2: They've like, we're getting the exact usual opposite to the show don't tell, aren't we? We're literally getting tell don't show. And I think Mm. almost sometimes some of the stuff he's describing I think because of the history we know from his flashbacks, and we've us essentially even getting one at the start of this episode in the cold open, our thoughts of what this could actually be and how it could actually look based on the words are sometimes maybe worse than what it actually was. Like, mm. the stuff you're picturing, you're like, oh, God, this is just... <laughs> like, these <laughs> scenes he's describing with, between him and his mother, whether the present day or from the past, are just grim, is the word I would use. Yeah.
3: It's, uh, as well, there's a nice... um Like juxtaposition of Bojack Horseman the man, the horseman and Bojack Horseman the actor because he's not a good actor Like he has it in him to be his real self in performances sometimes but he's not a very good actor but what he is here is showing you the difference between himself and the performer because this is real this is like atypically authentic we're not exposed to this very often unless his guards are down with Diane or unless he's apologizing to Todd for something, or he's admitting a wrongdoing to Princess Carolyn. You get these little, these very tiny flashes with Bojack, and then it goes back to the performative self, the guy that's trying to block out all the damage he's done to himself, to other people's lives. It's all real. And then he just flicks the switch for a second. He tries to be the performer, tries to be the guy that's in front of an audience, you know, at a funeral home. It's still an audience. He's still up there speaking. He's still the one holding the microphone, the one whose voice is being amplified. So it's as if he's trying to juggle the two without having, I would say probably Diane as the, the most common one, but uh, without having those rocks that he's got in his life to normally unload in the way that he might.
2: Yeah, I think he finds it impossible not when put in that situation to not go into entertainer mode. And I think mm. there's definitely, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, but he is slipping during this eulogy between being Bojack the man and being Bojack the horse from horse and Around. Like literally, yes, we've got yeah. the two halves of the BoJack Horseman, like literally he's sitting there trying to do the jokes, doing the sitcom one-liners and two-liners, and then on the other hand of it, we get the crushed little boy who's just trying to figure out how to do a eulogy for his mother. It's it's really, really well done, this.
3: Ah, that's a great observation, you know, because the murmurs and the whispers and the hmm, like, the little noises of nothing indistinct, basically, crowd noises from the people in the room replace that laugh track that horsing Around would have, where everything yep. ends in, in a big big laugh, big laugh, big laugh, big laugh, big laugh, big anti-Semitic audience member shouting <laughs> the beefs, <laughs> Bradley Hitler-Smith. Um, that is replaced by odd little, like stuttered mm. murmurs, awkwardness. The gasps are not like that kind of over the top, saved by the bell, horsing Around, uh-oh. It's, yeah. oof, it's like somebody's just been punching the gut hearing a man talk about his mother this way. <laughs>
2: And it's almost like he's using them sometimes as like a measuring stick. Even though this mm. isn't a moment to be like, "Oh, it didn't get a that didn't get a big pop or that didn't get yeah. like a gasp." But because he's so used to being in that situation, that's what he's looking for. He's playing it off, and that's why we get this weird back and mm. forth between him and the unseen and off-screen uh, musician. I guess we'll call them.
3: <laughs> I can't <laughs> we believe we're We've unlocked this episode as a dark timeline episode of horsing around. Basically, that's what free zero is. <laughs> yeah, it's one that got with, ended up on the cutting room floor, <laughs> probably for good reason. Didn't
2: make it faster the studio. I don't think this one would have.
3: <clears throat> so we continue. Um, Bojack carries on, uh, referring, of course, to the the IC statement again. Maybe she saw my dad. My dad died about ten years ago of injuries he sustained during a duel. When your father dies, you ask yourself a lot of questions. Questions like. Wait, did you say he died in a duel? And (laughs) who dies in a (laughs) duel? The whole thing was so stupid. Dad spent his entire life writing this book, but he couldn't get any stores to carry it or any newspapers to review it. Finally, I guess this one newspaper thought he was pretty hilarious because they ran a review and tore him to shreds. So my father, ever the proud Mary, decided he would not stand for this besmirchment of his honour. He claimed the critic didn't understand what it meant to be a man, so he demanded satisfaction in the form of pistols at dawn. He wrote the paper this letter saying anyone who didn't like his book, he would challenge to a duel. Anyone in the world. He'd even pay for airfare to San Francisco and a night in a hotel. Well, eventually this found its way to some kook in Montana, who was as batshit as he was and took him up on the offer. They met at Golden Gate Park and agreed. Ten paces, then shoot. But in the middle of the ten paces, Dad turned to ask the guy if he actually read the book and what he thought. (laughs) Not looking where he was going, tripped over an exposed route and bashed his head on a rock. Again, (laughs) We get that murmur. It's not a big, it's a big reveal, but it's not a big laugh. I wish I'd known to go to Jack in the Box then. Maybe I could have gotten a free churro. It would have been nice to have something to show for being the son of Butterscotch Horseman. My darling mother gave the eulogy. My entire life, I never heard her say a kind word to or about my father. But at his funeral, she said, quote, My husband is dead and everything is worse now. My husband is dead and everything is worse now. I don't know why she said that. Maybe she felt like that's the kind of thing you're supposed to say at a funeral. Maybe she hoped one day someone would say that about her. My mother is dead and everything is worse now. Or maybe she knew that he had frittered away all her inheritance and replaced it with crippling debt, which is a pretty shitty thing to leave your widow with. Bad news. You lost the husband. But don't worry, you also lost the house. Maybe mom knew she'd have to sell all her fancy jewellery and move into a home. Maybe that's what she meant by everything is worse now. Is that what you meant, mom? i got to say, I'm really carrying this double act. <laughs> <laughs> At least with Penn & Teller, the quiet one was card tricks. <laughs> hey, Piano Man, when I say something funny to my mom, how about you give me one of those rim shots? And he gets his rim shot. Yeah, but not now, when I say something funny. Like, okay, what's the difference between my mother and the disruptive expulsion of germs? One's a coffin fit, and the other fits a coffin. That's an example of a funny thing. And he gets his rim shot. Thank you, let's try again. Hey, mom, what's the difference between my mother and a bunch of Easter eggs? One gets carried in a basket, the other gets buried in a casket. And he gets his room shot again. Ready for one more? Last one. What's the difference between a first year lit major and my mother, Beatrice Horseman? One is decently red and the other's a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we get gasps and murmurs and not the laughs that we have provided right no, now. No, he
2: didn't get the pops that we've just given him there, did he?
3: We, we are the audience. Yeah, I might have gone a little too far with that one. That one might have been a little bit too, my mom's a huge bitch for the room. I'm sorry, mother. You're not a huge bitch. You were a huge bitch, and now you're dead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. man. Man, it's coming out now, isn't it? I feel like <laughs> slowly moving through all the stages here, aren't we? <laughs> oh, God. The amping up of the jokes for the rim shots really works here as well when you see it on, on screen, because you're kind of getting that. It's that weird tension, isn't it, that he's also bringing out in him yeah. trying to do the humor but also it's it's so it's such a horrible feeling we're literally the funeral here and he's just amping up the humor but uh, i mean the the pop for that <laughs> <The> huge <laughs> bitch it, and i love as well because it was like one is decently red and it should be one is recently dead and he just yeah. swears it completely
3: the other's a huge bitch <laughs> <laughs> I, I like i like the idea um that he would refer to his mom's funeral as not, and my mom's a huge bitch type of room. Again, he's like relating it back to the stand-up days. Yeah, Almost like do like, you get it? She's a huge yeah, bitch.
2: like ah oh, tough crowd
3: <laughs> <laughs> at a
2: funeral of his mother. Of course, it is. Oh yeah, so just watching the little bits of like this pent-up anger creeping out in between, mm. in between the words as he's like trying to just do this act. It's just it's fascinating, isn't it?
3: His dad as well. Like, we give Jack a lot of grief, so let's extend that out to his the rest of his family tree. What a piece of shit Scotch Horseman is. Like, everything that we've seen in flashbacks, and even in this episode, seen in this one flashback that we did get. Like, the comedy of his death is so deserved. I feel like we've had a sense of justice in the Horseman family tree for the first time ever. Because, like... Get your edit point ready. Like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely f- that guy. Like, to die in that manner, if he wasn't going to get shot, which of course we're getting the build-up to, tripping on the way to getting shot, great. Like, I think Bojack starts to feel empowered to call his mother a huge bitch because he's retelling the story of the death of his crap dad.
2: Yeah, and it's like, I love that of all the sort of Amazing, meaningful deaths. I'm sure his father would have thought of. He literally is the guy who goes out not with a bang, but with a (laughs) whimper, like (laughs) because he can't even do a duel ride. Because actually, Michael, as we are learning throughout this, most of the show, not just with the horses, but most of the men in this show, as very specifically the writers in this show, as you'll see as a theme, they are all absolute hacks. They are terrible (laughs) hacks who were getting away with operating at a time when women weren't being given a crack at it. So they were just like... I mean, if you remember rightly, when um, Butterscotch first meets Beatrice, when we see the flashbacks, like that episode where we go back in time, mm. he literally says he's going to write the next great American novel. And this this is what it ends up with. This is where we end up. And the fact that he can't even do a duel right, I think <laughs> actually makes him... We always talk about how Bojack is a stupid piece of This makes Butterscotch Horseman a stupid piece of (laughs) (laughs) shit.
3: I I really wish that was another episode we got. I I really
2: do. I really wish I'd love to see what was going on in his head while all of this was happening during his terrible parenting. But never mind. Shall we move on? Shall we move on? We shall. We we jump back in. So, of course, we finished on the brilliant note of, you were a huge bitch and now you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) We start again. You know, what? the first time I ever performed in front of an audience, it actually was uh, with my mom. She used to put on these shows with her supper club in the living room. And she used to make she used to make me sing the lollipop song and then an organ plays the tune. Those parties, they were really something. There were skits and magic acts and ethnically insensitive vaudeville routines. And the big finale was always a dance that my mother did. She had this beautiful dress that she only brought out for these parties. And she did this incredible number. It was beautiful and sad. Dad hated the parties. He'd lock himself in the study and bang on the walls for us to keep it down. But he always came out to see Mom dance. He'd linger in the doorway, scotch in hand and watch in awe as this cynical, despicable woman he married took flight. And as a child who was completely terrified of both my parents, I was always aware that this moment of grace, it meant something. We understood each other in a way. Me and my mom and my dad, as screwed up as we all were, we did understand each other. My mother, she knew what it's like to feel your entire life like you're drowning. With the exception of these moments, these very rare brief instances in which you suddenly remember, you can swim. And then we get this beautiful flashback, um, which I, obviously we don't get any token for in this bit. But mm. to say it's beautiful is probably an understatement. It's The one moment we maybe get taken away, we're still in the room, but we kind of get transported through a bright light and a silhouette Bojack's mother dancing across his face as he remembers the moments from the party and some classical music playing alongside that he continues but then again mostly not mostly you're drowning she understood that too and she recognised that I understood it and dad all three of us were drowning we didn't know how to save each other but there was an understanding that we were all drowning together and I would like to think that that's what she meant when we were in the hospital and she said, I see you. You know, the weird thing about both your parents being dead is it means that you're next. I mean, you know, obviously it's not like there's a waiting list for dying. Any one of us could get run over by a Snapchatting teen at any moment. And you'd think that knowing that would make us more adventurous and kind and forgiving. But it makes us small and stupid and petty. I actually had a near-death experience recently. A stunt went bad and I fell off a building. <laughs> I'm an actor. I do my own stunts. (laughs) I'm on this new show, Philbat. I'm Philbat, star of the show. It hasn't come out yet, but it's already getting Emmy buzz. Oh, speaking of buzz, I'm supposed to take two of these every morning, but my days are so screwed up because the shooting schedule, I don't even know what morning means anymore. Bojack at this point has pulled out a little vial of tablets, obviously that we saw he was being treated with for his bad back. There's a joke in there somewhere about a guy who's been to so many funerals, he doesn't even know what morning means anymore. Let you guys figure that one out for yourselves. He gulps down his tablets. Anyway, you know what I thought when I was falling off that building, when I went into panic mode? The last thing that my stupid brain could come up with before I died? Won't they be sorry? Cool thought, brain. Rib shot plays in the background. (laughs) No, that wasn't. Would you just dial it back, all right? (laughs) I don't even know what they I wanted to be sorry. My mum, even before she died, could barely remember who I was. And, of course, my dad's dead. The last conversation I ever had with him was about his novel. He was so certain this book was his legacy. Maybe he thought it would vindicate him for all the shitty things he ever did in his stupid, worthless life. Maybe it did. I don't know. I never read it, because why would I give him that?
3: (laughs) I'll try and keep this momentum going before we lament that last line. So he continues. I used to be on this TV show called Horsin' Around. Seriously, though, hold your applause. Well held. <laughs> it was written by my friend Herb Kazaz, who's also dead now. And it starred this little girl named Sarah Lynn. And it was about these orphans. And early on, the network had a note. Maybe don't mention their orphans so much, because audiences tend to find orphans sad and not relatable. But I never thought the orphans were sad. I, I always thought they were lucky, because they could imagine their parents to be anything they wanted. They had something to long for. Anyway, we did this one season finale where Olivia's birth mother comes to town, and she was a junkie, but she's gotten herself cleaned up, and she just wants to be in Olivia's life again. And of course, she's like a perfect grown-up version of Olivia. And they go to the mall together, and they get her ears pierced like she's always wanted. And sorry, spoiler alert for season six finale: of horse and round. If you're still working your way through it, anyway, the horse tries to warn her: "Be careful, moms have a way of letting you down." But Olivia just thinks the horse is jealous. And when the mom says she's moving to California, Olivia decides to go with her. And the network really juiced the cliffhanger. Is Olivia gone for good? Of course, because it's a TV show, she was not gone for good. Of course, because it's a TV show, Olivia's mother had a relapse and had to go back to rehab. So Olivia had to hitchhike all the way home, getting rides from Mr. T, Alf, and the cast of Stomp. Of course that's what's happened, because what are you gonna do? Just not have Olivia on the show? You can't have happy endings in sitcoms. Not really, because if everyone's happy, the show would just be over. And above all else, the show has to keep going. There's always more show. And you can call horsing around dumb or bad or unrealistic, but there was nothing more realistic than that. You never get a happy ending because there's always more show. I guess until there isn't. My mom would hate it if she knew that I spent so much time at a funeral talking about my old TV show. Or maybe she'd think it was funny that her idiot son couldn't even do this right. Who knows? She left no instructions for what she wanted me to say. All I know is that she wanted an open casket and her idiot son couldn't even do that right. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I ever understood how to please that woman even though so much of my life has been wasted in vain attempts to figure it out. But I keep going back to that moment in the ICU when she looked at me and I see you, I see you. Jesus Christ, we were in the intensive care unit. She was just reading a sign. My mom died and all I got was this free churro. You know the shittiest thing about all of this, It's when that stranger behind the counter gave me that free churro. That small act of kindness showed more compassion than my mother ever gave me her entire goddamn life. Like, how hard is it to do something nice for a person? This woman at the -the jack-in-the-box didn't even know me. I'm your son. All I had was you. I have this friend. And right around when I first met her, her dad died. And actually went with her to the funeral. And months later, she told me that she didn't understand why she was still upset. Because she never even liked her father. It made sense to me because when I went through the same thing when my dad died, I'm going through that same thing now. You know what it's like? It's like that show, Becca, you know, with Ted Danson. I watched the entire run of that show hoping it would get better and it never did. It had all the right pieces, but it just, it couldn't put them together. And when it got canceled, I was really bummed out. Not because I liked the show, but because I knew it could be so much better and now it never would be. And that's what losing a parent is like. It's like Becca. Suddenly, you realise you'll never have the good relationship you wanted. And as long as they were alive, even though you'd never admit it, part of you, the stupidest goddamn part of you, was still holding on to that chance. And you didn't even realise it until the chance went away. My mother is dead and everything is worse now. Because now I know I will never have a mother who looks at me from across the room and says, Bojack Horseman, I see you. But I guess it's good to know. It's good to know that there is nobody looking out for me that there never was, and there never will be. No, it's good to know that I'm the only one that I can depend on. And I know that now, and it's good. It's good that I know that. So it's good that my mother is dead. There are more gulps and sighs of shock in the audience. Well, no point beating a dead horse. Beatrice Horseman was born in 1938 and she died in 2018. And I have no idea what she wanted unless you just wanted what we all wanted to be seen. And with that, Bojack goes over to the coffin and he opens the lid to take one last look at his mother. And then what he sees is not what he expected to see. And he pulls out a brochure and he says, is this funeral parlor B? And for the first time, the fourth wall of this room is broken and we see a family of grieving geckos, not horses. Not familiar faces, not anybody we've ever met, but geckos, Nicholas, in this funeral home, looking upon a horse that has just unloaded every bit of darkness about his mother, his father, his life to them for the last 25 goddamn minutes. And scene. And end of episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jack Horseman has just condensed 54 years of hurt and pain (laughs) and misery and sadness and disappointment and heartache and just a lack of fulfillment overall and, like, squashed it into a a machine gun of about 20-something minutes and just pointed it at these geckos and just shot them repeatedly for 27 (laughs) minutes while he just monologued about... His recently deceased mother, who isn't even in the room at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, look, I've seen a lot of different takes about this ending. I think it's absolutely amazing. I think it's brilliant. And it's the only thing that I think could have properly punctuated this because it's such a heavy. It's full of comedy, this monologue, obviously, but it's still a heavy moment. this. This is big.
0: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians
1: who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound
0: for those who qualify.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Yeah. But it has to end on a joke. Because the whole thing's been a joke, hasn't it? I mean, Mm. from start to finish, his whole relationship with his mother, never mind anything else, if you wanted to call it functional, it's been a a massive joke compared to functional. Like The whole thing. has has been riddled with, like, comic tragedy. Like, And this just felt perfect. The one time he finally decides he's going to get it all off his chest, finally, is one moment, and he's not even in the right funeral parlour.
3: He's been craving, like, for the longest, since the 90s, just once for life to wrap itself up neatly in 25 minutes. And he thinks it's finally happened. He's just done un- he's it. Un- he's done it. He's actually cracked it in this dark timeline, horsing around episode, which we've realized in this review is what he thinks this is. He's done it. He's actually going to wrap this in 23 minutes, 24 minutes. And he opens the coffee. <laughs> it's more wide open than ever before because he'll never get these words out in this way again. He'll never get an opportunity to do it. He's never going to eulogize his mother. He's just eulogized what we can only assume to be a dead gecko, maybe. <laughs> uh, the mother of these poor grieving geckos. Uh, who knows? But yes, he wanted, for once, the horsing around conclusion to his real life, and he got the literal opposite. He got, he got the most open. He got an open ended casket.
2: He did, and you can almost imagine that in his head this might have been. By the time he got to the end, as you say, he's wrapped it all up. This might have been a happy ending. But if only he'd been listening to himself, Michael, because you can't have happy endings in sitcoms. Not really, because if everyone's happy, the show would be over, wouldn't it? <laughs> of course, it would.
3: They told you it. They told you that was going to happen.
2: As we know, there's always more sure, especially when you're only six episodes into a season. <laughs> oh, God, this is quite something. And I just... Can we just take a minute to appreciate the fact that Bojack's entire real focus in this, in this whole monologue of his comes from, a, amongst other stuff, comes from the thought of wanting to be seen. And for Mm. someone to see him and to just to be seen. And how funny is it that he's just done this? And either through the fact that he's intoxicated from the medication that he's on, which he may or may not be abusing, we don't know at this point, which also might attribute to some of the comedy as he's doing Mm -hmm. the eulogy, if he's a bit loose. Maybe he's genuinely just so, like busy processing this grief, this trauma, this yep. everything. Or maybe he's just so far up his own arse, whatever <laughs> it is, maybe it's a combination of all three, but he spends so much time complaining about never being seen by his own mother that he doesn't even see or really take in a funeral parlour <laughs> full of geckos who are just in there, presumably <laughs> waiting to grieve over, maybe they're very beloved family member, we don't know.
3: <laughs> just like teeth-grinding resentment he's got when he arrives at the realisation that she was just saying, I see you. Yeah. What's he seen for the last 25
2: minutes? <laughs> what the hell's he seen? You do wonder if he's got some sort of weird myopia going on here where he just, he just, he's got the blinkers on, but for some reason he's not put them on the sides of his head. He's put them <laughs> over his eyes this time, so he physically can't see anything. Um there's something great about this. I don't know what it is. I, I haven't quite figured out how to put it into words yet. But that whole the fact that it's literally, it is literally staring him in the face, but he's so busy doing his own thing that mm. he just doesn't see it. Uh, amazing! Like it's such a huge gag and such a bold gag to put at the end of well, an even bolder episode where it just spends the whole time talking at you
3: essentially. There's a um, quotable, notable that I'd like to pick up from that long last section when he's talking about the uh the olivia episode of horsing around yeah. um which was that uh, his friend herb kazaz who is also dead now and it starred a little girl called sarah lynn pregnant pause but he doesn't that, mention death does he yeah that reveal that he is struggling still to yeah. more whether it's mourn her whether it's accept her death it's funny you mentioned earlier on about he's racing through the stages of grief over the course of one eulogy for his mother and he's not even really started to grieve Sarah Lynn or acknowledge that she's passed, as he was able to with Herb, and as of course he was able to, well, as he was able to with virtually everyone. everybody else. In, it, literally everyone, is, has, there. everyone else. It's more than Herb, you know, not Sarah Lynn. No, nope. he's, not, he's not processed it. No, nope. exactly. have any of us processed it yet? I don't know. The,
2: it's a huge red flag, Michael. It's a huge <laughs> red flag. And thankfully, because we don't have the rose tinted glasses on. <laughs> it looks like a red flag rather than just looking like a flag <laughs> in this particular episode. I mean, it's just incredible, this. Like, we did mention on last week's podcast, and we'll to say it again, a powerhouse of mm-hmm. an episode unlike the rest. You know, I mean, this is this is probably the, I think it's fair to say, the they took the ball and ran with it in season three when they did fish out of water. Yeah. Um, where they said, can we do an episode where there is no talking? This is essentially what they've done. And they've literally changed the narrative. Said, can we do an episode where it's only talking, where it's just BoJack? Uh, and I think we can all agree this. Well, I hope so. I hope you've enjoyed it because it's, it really worked for me. I thought this was just such a brilliant, brilliant
3: episode. A total success um and proof positive that BoJack Horseman can be every version of a television show. So it can be... I mean, Christ, in the season alone, we've gone through like the likes of just farce comedy. I think less so of the one from this season, but of, for example, the ski race that we had in season four, the general misadventures of Peanut Butter and Woodchuck. It, like, it deals heavily in farce um, and yeah. you know, covers across all subjects of mental health and things of that nature. But yeah, the manner in which it uses all the tropes of television to get its point across and to tell its stories and to present its characters in all the various different ways. It's bold. It's, like, this is a beautiful, like, half-hour of television. It's a, it's one of those, like, touchstone moments for the show, I think, where everyone at this season five, man, like, you're on the hook. If you're watching, you're yeah. in. Um, there would be the, I don't want to say an excuse, but there are enough examples of shows where, like, creatively showrunners and writers take their foot off the gas a little bit because they know they've got that audience and they're probably not going to gain too many but they're equally not going to lose many because people are on for the ride now and Mm -hmm. you see a bit less of those risks and you see Fish Out of Water season three wasn't it Um, which typically especially in American television season two and season three when they're really starting to like flex creatively they've found exactly who these characters are and they know exactly what they can do And season five and six and beyond is often when kind of lose that, like the magic has started to leave the writers room, the, the best gags have been done, the best reveals and the best payoffs have happened and for them to dish this out here. Like to reward an audience that at this point are fairly loyal, um, I just got to do the work. Like Christ almighty to do the work. And I just, I can't say enough good things or perhaps even articulate them um, about how respected I feel as a viewer and a fan of this show. To be served to be served up this episode, I feel like I've been trekked with just the utmost respect. And it makes you want to... Well, what it does, it makes you want to pay it back. It makes you want to pay it forward. It makes you want to talk yourself horse about a talking horse. And then to your frustration, you find there's only like two other people you work with that have seen the show. And that's not enough. So you need to start... So what you podcast. need to do is start your own podcast. <laughs> yeah. and start
2: shouting at people. We start it's... monologuing at people about how good the monologues are on this television show.
3: What this I is? mean...
2: It's fantastic. I think that this is a great example of... Uh, they've obviously built their audience up at this point. I remember uh, Raphael Bob Waksberg talking about the first season of Bojack. And a lot of people say maybe the first season is one, though, where it might not be like the... I still think it's great, but a lot of people might say it doesn't immediately get them on the hook. But that's because they spent that season trying to appease two lots of fans, like the ones they're looking to get and the ones they need to get the views in to make sure they get that next season this feels like an episode where they went okay we've got our fans now that allows us to do this episode like that gives us the freedom to to go can we do this episode can we achieve it and i think it's fair to say they did achieve it and they did it extremely well which if you know if not the michael as we've learned through this show awards aren't important right awards are meaningless <laughs> they will not give you happiness in life but this episode was so good obviously it made a ton of end of year lists for like the best TV episodes in uh, 2018 it would have been for this one. And it did receive a Primetime Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Animated Program. I don't believe it won, but it did win, uh, it did get the nomination. And as we see from the show, this is all just like art imitating life, isn't it? It's like it's yeah. very, very funny how it all works out. Yeah. And of course, shout out again to Will Arnett, who was just, has probably been given and should continue to be given. So much uh, praise for his work in this episode. Truly, truly exceptional stuff for his uh, vocal performance.
3: I uh, I fear the hospital pass I'm about to give you, Nicholas. But uh, in an episode set in one room with one flashback, (laughs) with one character delivering a monologue, how about them hidden jokes and Easter eggs? Hidden jokes and Easter eggs.
2: Well, unfortunately, there is absolutely sod all for me to do. <laughs> so, well, actually, no, because you know what it is. You know, I'm going to be honest about this. <laughs> no, I'm not. I am so good that I managed to get us a healthy amount to chuck in here, which some of them are anecdotal, of course, because that's felt important in an episode which was full of anecdotes, <laughs> but also some, some interesting ones as well. Um, so. In an episode which might well need it, this is the part of the show we'll do a, a miniature horsing around here where we go back and we find uh, the parts of the episode that you might have missed the little hidden details, the small meanings behind certain things, or the Easter eggs that were planted. As Michael has already sort of prefaced there, like we <laughs> were in one room apart from a cold open that was separate, which we do get a couple of things, and the actual funeral parlor. We don't get much else. So there aren't going to be any funny signs. There aren't going to be anything like that. But we do have a few things. So let's go back to the beginning of the episode. And we are in Butterscotch. Butterscotch? <laughs> Butterscotch Horseman's car. Before Bojack gets in it, I should point out. And as the car's pulling up to get Bojack, as he's waiting to be picked up, his dad is muttering to himself in the car. He says, <clears throat> yes, yes, I see you get in. Which, when you're watching the cold open, doesn't mean anything to Michael Hamflin. But when you watch it and you think about it in context to what we've just had in this episode, his dad literally says at the start of the episode, yes, yes, I see you. Get oh. in. They're good, mind. They're good at this show. <laughs> I will say that. It's almost like almost like they're professionals or something. <laughs> There's a lot to pick through yeah, in, Bo- in Butterscotch's uh, monologue here. Ironic that the episode, of course, starts with a monologue from mm. Butterscotch Horseman which subsequently has a knock-on effect for Bojack in a number of ways for his own monologue, which we see later on. But one of, the most, one of the most interesting choice parts of it is when he says, your mother's having another one of her episodes. Last night she went to see A Doll's House with a couple of girlfriends, and now she has ideas. Well, for anybody who doesn't know, much like I didn't know before we started this episode, A Doll's House is a three-act play, Michael, written by Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen. Of course.
3: Oh, yes.
2: Which, for anybody who's been paying attention throughout this show, a phrase that has been repeatedly repeated, I guess we'll say, is whenever Bojack has talked about uh, uh, horsing around, or his mother has indeed mentioned it in the past in flashbacks, she said, well, it's no Ibsen, which is, of course, a reference to him. And there we go. It all ties up nice and neat. And in a bit more detail about uh, A Doll's House, the play is significant for the way it deals with the fate of a married woman who, at the time in Norway, who of married women, sorry, who at the time in Norway lacked reasonable opportunities for self-fulfillment in a male-dominated world, despite the fact that Ibsen denies it was his intent to write a feminist play. It says it aroused a great sensation at the time and caused a storm of outraged controversy, quote-unquote, that went beyond the theatre to the world newspapers and society. As we see, it rippled all the way through into Butterscotch Horseman's car. Uh, and inconvenience this whole day, can you believe it? <laughs> but yeah, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant choice of material there. And of course, another wink in a nod to Ibsen. So I do have to wonder who from the Bojack Horseman uh, writers really likes Ibsen. <laughs> Someone's a big Ibsen <laughs> fan out there, and I'd like to know which one it is. Anyway, We obviously have the opening credits. Nothing changes there. And from that point on, we are in the funeral parlor. (laughs) Makes my life easy. I don't have to keep chopping and changing. But we are in the funeral parlor. And that's the end of Hustle Around. (laughs) (laughs) No, I joke. So I'll pull through a a few bits here. Bojack mentions at one point, he says, when he's talking about how his mother bought him the jacket that he wanted, and then he says, it's a nice story, but it's not about me. I actually stole it. He says, I stole it from an episode of Maud. I saw when I was a kid. Uh, Maud, of course, for those who don't know, is an American sitcom television series that was originally broadcast back between 1972 and 1978. Uh, But the episode that Bojack is referring to from that show is season four, episode nine, called The Analyst, where um, Maud, the central character, is talking about how her father had managed to get her this coat that she was wanting uh, with a very specific collar and managed to get it to her before. And she gets really upset. And gets you know kind of teary-eyed while she's talking about this quote, just to show the relationship that's going on there between daughter and father, and then we get the other way around between son <laughs> and mother, it's just it's an absolute disaster. But another notable interesting point here is the actress who plays Maud in the TV show is one B. Arthur or Michael to be to give her a full name, Beatrice Arthur, of course, the uh, actress. But I just thought that was interesting as well that obviously she's playing the character yeah one be address to another but um it's it is widely reported though that uh B Arthur's performance as Maud in the show was something that was a massively uh, influential thing on Bojack's actual monologue throughout the uh throughout this episode something they drew on
3: yeah and I, I might have there might be another inception level of this one, if I may, I'm gonna take a point on this one. Please do, please do. Did did you say it's a season four, episode nine of Maud? Yes. So an episode of Maud that deals with like that kind of the complexities of a parent-child relationship in the past, Mm -hmm. season four, episode nine of BoJack Horseman is Ruthie, parent-child relationships in the future. (laughs)
2: There you go. You see, I've been so clamped up in my little four walls of the funeral parlour that I needed you to get in your rocket ship and go to the future (laughs) just to bail me out. There you go. Magical stuff. I would highly suggest that's deliberate as well.
3: They've drawn that parallel. Or it's that guy from last week's episode telling us off stop pausing and watch the episode.
2: Well, it's funny you say that. We may get another little moment to tell us to shut the hell up later on. (laughs) More on that in just a second. (laughs) But then we go through the speech a little bit further. And another thing I picked out, which I just thought was very specific, you will see the BoJack whistle stops through a lot of things that are going on in his life throughout this monologue in various different incarnations. Another one he says, though, is when he's talking about what he learned from TV. He says... All I know about being good, I learned from TV. And in TV, flawed characters are constantly showing people they care with these surprising grand gestures. He then goes on to say, but in real life, the big gesture isn't enough. That sounds very familiar, Michael, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like when Mr. Peanut Butter made a bell room. For Diane, and it didn't work out. It sounds like when Mr. Peanut Butter threw a massive surprise party for Diane,
3: and it <laughs> didn't
2: work out. Are you seeing the pattern? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs>
3: Very good.
2: good so spot. it's all relevant here. Speaking of all relevant, I did say Bojack covers a breadth of uh, moments in his life. Well, we get another callback. Um, we get a callback to season two, episode 12, Michael, where you will recall as one Bojack horseman who has been trying to take up running for the whole season, is on his back. He's flat on his back. He's having a hard time. Just remember that image. Well, during this eulogy, he says, the line, you need to do it every day, which is so hard, which is, of course, a callback to the baboon who tells him as he's lying on the floor, it gets easier, but you've got to do it every day. Every That's day. the hard part. And he draws on that and it's stuck in his head that lesson. Something apparently he did learn. He has been he does listen to people. Mm-hmm. does not on the advice, but he does store it in there. So a nice little call back to the baboon from season two, episode twelve. So to add to that, next up we have a little bit of just a little bit of trivia. Nothing too exciting about this, and there's nothing hidden about it. But Michael Bojack Horseman is fifty-four years old in the year 2018. Indeed. He tells us as much. Uh, and I just thought that was that was worth noting just as a little hmm. time, stamp, just to remember. He's quite old these days. Not as old as you, <laughs> but he's old.
3: <laughs> oh God. If this oh. podcast lasts long enough on iTunes, Spotify That'll or whatever you can.
2: One day, That'll be true. It'll be true one day. In in what? We'll call it 20 years time. You'll be two years older than Bojack Horseman at this point. How do you like them, apples?
3: <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on, on a woolly jumper. <laughs>
2: Also, again, because he's drawing from everything in the BoJack Horseman and Horse and Around universe, I guess, um, he literally says the line which we hear so often during those end credits, but one that we haven't heard particularly in this season, the original one anyway, he says, Back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show, of course, the opening line to the usual uh, end credits song that we get from Group Love. Um, and then... And then Michael, as we mentioned before, Bojack Horseman giving us another kick in the dick, you and I, because mm-hmm. he says the line about the when the person who was asking him about the coffee cups in Horsin' around uh, was supposed to show the weird way that memory works, and he yeah. says, and he says maybe we're dumb to try to pin significance onto every little thing, and as a duo who have tried to make a well, at least one of us <laughs> trying to make a podcast, yeah. <laughs> where he's trying to pin some significance onto every little thing, as I put here in my notes. Well, f*** us then, eh? <laughs> 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 I guess we'll just call it quits, Michael. The signs are there for us to see now.
3: Horsin' around is dead, and everything is worse now.
2: And everything is worse now. Very good. <laughs> All right, here's another one for you. Brilliantly funny, this. Just purely entertaining. He said, when Bojack says... My dad died about 10 years ago of injuries he sustained during a duel. Of course, we then got to find out that it had nothing to do with an actual duel. It mm-hmm. had to do with him being an idiot who wasn't looking where he was going and tripped over. And I just, the way I've summed this up, I thought this was incredible. But of Scotch Horseman's entire life, as long as we've seen him in flashbacks or to this point, anytime time talks about him, his entire life was spent writing the next great American novel, quote-unquote, in his mind. And in the end... It was the book essentially that killed him, wasn't it? Like, because yeah. the book, his foolish pride about trying to be this amazing writer was the thing that killed him. He couldn't, and as a, on top of this, he couldn't even do a duel right, Michael. <laughs> like, his ego was so bad that he couldn't take the critics and then decided someone took him up on the offer. And he couldn't even do the duel right. A man who's supposed to be like, or sees himself in such a sort of, Grandiose light, he can't even do a duel correctly because, Michael, he's a stupid man who then would have been from Hollywood.
3: <laughs> Through being blinded by the obsession that he needed to know the guy had read it. Yeah. Like why else potentially was this guy there? But he needed to know that. He needed that empty vindication before potentially shooting the man to death. <laughs> you read my book, bang. Well,
2: and then the, the the more entertaining part of this for me personally is that as we discussed <laughs> as we discover in Season 4, Episode 12 of Bojack Horseman. Uh, <laughs> quite a moment, this. But there's a box of things in Bojack's house that uh, B has left in, in there. And there's a bunch of memory books and all this. But in there, you will find a copy of Butterscotch Horseman's book. And the horse, the name of the book, Michael, is... <laughs> the Horse That Couldn't Be Broken. <laughs> And yet here he is, the book the book comes out, he gets criticized by a couple of people, and apparently the horse could be broken by himself, which is even better. <laughs> um, <laughs> we go on to the next bit uh, of, of Bojack's monologue, and I just I've written down here just because it made me laugh so much. What's the difference between a first-year lit major and my mother Beard was Horseman? One is decently red, and the other's a huge bitch.
3: Unbelievable.
2: <laughs> Incredible, incredible delivery, that incredible delivery. And speaking of incredible, how beautiful. If you haven't watched this episode, please do. There's there's still a lot of visual things in there for you to enjoy. Uh, And one in particular is the flashback moment that we do get. We don't leave the room, as we mentioned earlier, but we get Bojack sort of, uh, a bright light shines on his face and he takes himself back in his head to that moment where his mother's dancing in this room. This one potential graceful thing that she ever does in her life that actually... He sees the value in, maybe. Um, and all he's got is the silhouette of that in his memory. And it's just beautiful. Really nice in a moment. Mm. In this very, very specific four walls of the funeral parlor. still a great moment. As we touched on there, I've written down here about how he says, you can't have happy endings in sitcoms. Not really, because if everyone's happy, the show would be over. And above all else, the show has to keep going. There's always more show. And it kind of reminded me as well that of Bojack's mother telling him that to keep on dancing, essentially. Just keep dancing. Uh, Even when he was feeling sad and he was trying to hide on the table and stuff. uh, Because you have to keep doing this. And we saw him impart that same knowledge in a weird muddled way uh, when he was about to start Ethan around, if you recall correctly, to the little girl on set there tries to move on with his life. It's sort of this weird notion. Show business, the Hollywood machine has stayed with him. And it's kind of ruined a lot of the things for him, including a relationship with his mother.
3: I'm really um, uneasy with the, his memories recollections and the occasional flashbacks of being made to perform at these parties. Um, it's something that I think was, I feel like, like generationally, and not that far removed from, I was going to say our, I'll, I'll split yours from mine. I was going to say, from, it, come on. From, from, from the multiple generations of which we skew. <laughs> um, I don't feel like it's that far removed, but it does, it does sort of resemble patterns of abuse. It does. Get out here and dance for my adult friends. Like I don't mean that in a lascivious fashion. I just mean a child and they'll do it, they'll sing, they'll dance, and there's a point where it's maybe cutesy or there's a point where maybe the child feels involved in it or being able to be part of the grown-up event. None of that is on show when Bojack recalls it. None of it. It's this awful feeling of being exposed instead to the, like Bojack's description of it what child should be exposed to those parties of hmm. like the like quasi racist vaudeville as he referred yeah. to it as yeah. the drinking the smoking the everything um yeah that doesn't paint the picture of i'm really proud of what my child can do it's it's as if what would be the equivalent now of putting a funny youtube video on yeah. watch my watch my kid dance for a second it's that like it's a vine do or this funny like thing yeah yeah it's it's really sad like it's yeah. and it's it's like it's low key abuse in the context of other yeah. forms of child abuse that we see on this show, but I, I, I don't know, really. Like, yeah, it, it does you. something
2: to me. Uh, a child is an accessory, almost, is what it feels like. Like, mm. I think I always think of him in that little sailor's outfit, of course, that he's always in. In those yeah. flashbacks, which makes it even even sadder. Um, and he just doesn't want to do it, does he? Like, it's, it's I don't know. Yeah, you're right. The whole thing is just not. It's just not great. Is it not a great thing at all? And also, there's a weird undertone of like show pony, which I just thought like there, it's yeah, in my head, yeah. like, dancing the show pony. Anyway, um, here's one for you. One I, one <laughs> I both related to, and I almost, I every time I watch this episode, I forget it's coming, and I'm like, oh, oh I'll get me fists up a little bit. Uh, an incredible analogy about uh, the TV show Becker, of course, another sitcom uh, mm. for those who don't know, which starred Ted Danson amongst a bunch of others. Who was uh... now, I actually loved Becker. I thought Becker was great. I, I know it wasn't maybe the hit that or the commercial successful hit that it was meant to be, but I'll fight for Becker till the end. Me, I really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> but I totally understand the notion here that he's talking about. That The feeling where he talks about how it could be better, but now we'll never ever get the opportunity to find out because it's been cancelled and actually it's, or in the terms of his parents, they have expired. They are both dead now. So you'll never get the chance to see them be better. He says he doesn't like the show. I did like the show, but I totally knew what he meant in terms of like, you can see the potential here and yet you you kind of, you're going to stick around because you're willing it to be better. You could probably apply it to a bunch of other things in uh, modern day, but like, the, the whole notion itself really works. Yeah, it's been particularly, if you know the show, then you'll know like in Bojack's parents, it just feels like that moment of, oh, god damn it, something was taken away from me. Even though you knew it probably never was going to get better, it's the definitive line of no. Like it's mm. that, it literally won't happen now.
3: I like the balance that this podcast will thus provide on Becca unexpectedly. Yeah, I, I have very vivid memories of watching Becca. It was on, on the UK, on Channel 4, and on the Paramount Comedy Channel. Um, yeah. First in the original run, because I was old enough, and then later in that syndication loop where you just have the episodes going on and on forever. Yeah. And it was perpetually the show that I watched, thinking, why is this no good? And as a result, I didn't engage. Yeah, So, yeah. of course, I would be that bad viewer that would thus... Have remembered three episodes from season one that I then gave up and then we we'll watched one completely <laughs> out of context. You know, that like bad faith. Oh, like, I don't understand. I'm three seasons and the, in. So, like, I've seen we're no good. He wasn't with her when I last saw this or yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. it's so like those critiques, you know, like risible stuff. But I, I'm i on the other side of that. I because of it failed to hook me as a viewer, that's why those shows die on the vine, isn't it? I pick yeah, it out the run. Yeah. Becker did, a, Becker did have a run, but it isn't celebrated and it isn't sort of toasted no. as this sitcom success. If anything, Ted Danson's placement as a, a pillar of American sitcom through other work like undermines Becker, and it's it's such a, perfect, thing you know, this. It's such a knowing example for this, yeah. this um, analogy. But I'm the viewer that didn't watch and thus indirectly contributed to its inevitable cancellation. Me and millions of others that saw the same thing and felt that like, oh... Why is this not yeah. what it needs to be? Goodbye, goodbye, Becca.
2: Well, even someone as like me, who I, I did watch, I watched it all, and because it's just from a pure completionist, completionist perspective, but I definitely had that feeling of like I, I wanted, I want, I, I knew it was there, and I would stick with it because I loved. how uh, like Ted Danson could do no wrong for me in terms of being on screen, and you give him the faith, and it's you know everyone. I try my best not to mention Cheers here yeah, because I was trying to, like, not just go, hey, but it's not Cheers, is it? Like, But it's not. It's, like, it's not Cheers. It's a completely different thing. Um, But more so, I don't know how... It's such a very specific reference, this. Like, that I feel like... if I just feel bad for anybody who hasn't seen Becca because it is really good. It's, like, such a perfect way, I feel, to, like, to explain this moment of... There's other things they could have used, but I just thought it was quite... An interesting choice that chose Becker because I, I don't have a gauge on how big it was in America or how how small it was. If, if anybody mm-hmm. can give us that at Podcast Horseman, please do let us know. But we're obviously watching it from the UK. I know a lot of people who have no idea what Becker is and what it was. Like never even knew it existed.
3: Well, do you know I have a it's sort of an answer to that question? Sorry, that I raise. realize
2: I've totally derailed this with now what no, is no, driving no. into becker here on a podcast about Bojack Horseman, but
3: <laughs> if you've ever heard the jingle to this podcast, it starts Becca in the 90s. <laughs> we re- reviewed a very famous television. You know? No. Um I I think there's a lot to this choice, right? And I actually think it's yet another um RBW commentary on Netflix, right. He has, like, it's 90s, obviously, so it's easily tied to the things that BoJack understands, which is six or seven season sitcoms that ran to minimal critical acclaim in the 90s. That's That's his world. Um, Anything that predates streaming captures a cultural zeitgeist that now is scattered across a billion platforms. In our other life, we review pro wrestling. And there will never be a boom in that industry because there are simply too many niche interest that that mm. falls into. If you go on Twitter, you will find a billion things to watch or read or see or engage with. If you go onto Netflix, Netflix alone, and that's one streaming platform, there are hundreds of shows that will only ever exist within Netflix that were never yeah. on television. BoJack Horseman itself could still be considered niche considering how huge it is, it's still niche in comparison to other shows because so few things capture mass public interest now because how everything is broken down and marginalised, uh, there wasn't even a Reddit, let alone the millions of subreddits, when Becca was on. So millions of people just tuned in and watched Becca, and millions of people tuned in and watched Becca and felt unsatisfied, but tuned in next week anyway. That that's a dead because it was phenomenon. because it was
2: on, wasn't it? It was
3: because just it was on. on. Yeah, that is a dated and dead phenomenon that you could not apply to. No. And I'm just throwing shows out here. But Shits Creek, the good place, like they're great. But the point is, you couldn't use them in this analogy no. because if you get three or four episodes in, and you're just not feeling it. Bang! It's on to the next one. Yeah. It's like I'm not. I'm not. I'm also, not get my time to that.
2: But also, it will con for the majority of them, specifically the ones that Netflix has made, the hard hand in making as well. Mm-hmm. They're going to be there forever. They're just going to be there. They're going to be yeah. on Netflix, and they will have a slot on Netflix forever. Whereas if a show was on like network television, and it's not doing the job, it's coming off, man, and you won't see it again oh, no. until, until, I guess, someone makes a Netflix and brings it back <laughs> or whatever. If you had to guess, Michael Hamlet, if you had to guess, off the top of your head, how many seasons of Becca do you think they were? Come on, use your brain. Think about how good this show is. Why are they this good?
3: Tell me it's six.
2: Becca had six seasons and it was cancelled in two thousand and four. Six seasons and the final season was 13 episodes but all the other seasons before that were like 22 to 24 episodes Mm -hmm. so arguably there's a whole lot more in there than what (laughs) ever have been in Bojack Horseman in terms of like the size of the show but that's brilliant that isn't it Mm -hmm. and I don't know if maybe that in itself is something they've hunted out a show that but that fits even better now. So there you go. That was a nice uh, twenty-minute rant, for <laughs> um. Just to add
3: to <laughs> I can't believe that when we first sat down to do this podcast, you didn't tell me that the whole thing was a Trojan Bojack horse for your, <laughs> your, your Be- for your Becker agenda. That was what you. Just- my proper down. Now about Becca. I'm just going to sit down and record next week's episode and you're never going to turn up on the call. It's like, well, I had my fun. I got what I need. I just had to string you along for yeah. five seasons. Basically.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. For for almost five seasons of this podcast, I have strung you all along because I just wanted to talk about Becca for quite some
3: time. I remember once, Hamflip, one of the first times I met you, we were on the drink and I said to you, would you ever fancy doing a Becca podcast? And you told me to... <laughs> off to my face, and I thought, right. And on that night, I the oh, a plan. That's
2: when you said that. It's because he thought, when I said, do you want to do a Becca podcast? He said, what, do I want to do a Becca podcast? Do you mean Becca <laughs> the chicken from Bojack Horseman? Oh, cool. I'll do a podcast about Bojack Horseman. That's great. And so here we are. <laughs> all that's things.
3: how it happened.
2: And that's how it happened. And that's how <laughs> the baby was made. Anyway, I've only got a couple more here. Let's quickly whistle through these. Before these people start shouting at the com- at the computers or their headphones or wherever the hell they are. Back on track if you want. I'd love to honestly, someone tell me that someone tell me the d we is taking there, how long it lasts, please. The, Be-
3: the Becker talk is dead and everything is worse now.
2: <laughs> and everything is worse now. Very good. He's gonna keep beating that dead horse, isn't he? Christ. <laughs> anyway, Beatrice Horseman, quickly. The one of the key focuses of this episode. I just thought it was worth noting. She was born in 1938, and she died in 2018, Michael. And that makes her 80 years old when she passed away, uh, which means she was 26 years old when she had BoJack Horseman. There you go. How do you like that? How do you like them apples? Eh? Got a <laughs> map next for you? Good stuff. Anyway, last and almost, is it last? Well, nearly last. As we get the big reveal, the big hilarious reveal in this not the ICU reveal, which is absolutely heartbreaking. I think we can both agree. Um, but the big reveal where we finally see the fourth wall. And it is the family of geckos who are all absolutely shocked and appalled. Um, well, a very specific choice here. Um, because, I mean, for starters, what a, what a reveal that is. and such a funny, strange way to do this. But they are very specifically geckos. And not just geckos, Michael. They are a very specific type of gecko known as the morning gecko. Um oh because of course they are, because this yeah. is both Horseman. And of I do have to wonder if they reverse engineered this and went, what would be
3: really good for this? A <laughs> morning god, I a morning mean... gecko. Morning.
2: Now let me give you some more trivia about this before you uh before you get too overwhelmed. Now, in real life, we should point out morning geckos, um are technically actually all female, according to my research. Uh, and that's where they get their name, from the assumption that they were in mourning over the loss of their mates when they were first discovered. Uh, so they've obviously used a little bit of a creative license there, but I don't think we're going to complain about that, given how good of a usage that is. And also, if you're watching carefully, how we can tell these are definitely mourning eggers, I believe, uh, is that the actual... So it's weird. in the, in In this episode... You will see they do have eyelids. I guess it's just because they're human, they're anthropomorphic to a certain extent. But in real life, they don't actually have eyelids. So they will use their tongues to like moisten and like clean out their eyes whenever they need to do that instead of the and protect their eyes instead of using eyelids. As you will see, one of the geckos actually does use its tongue and hits itself in the eye and like cleans it up. Which is obviously the point. That I say, hey, look, do a bit of research. These are actually morning geckos. <laughs> so there you go, nice bit of trivia about geckos. But of course, morning geckos. What a great, what a great choice for the people to have on the big reveal in the funeral parlour. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Actually, I have written at the end here, but I think I touched on it earlier. Um, obviously Bojack's whole entire speech revolves around the ICU, and it just as I've written down here, the combination of his self-indulgent eulogy, his grief, the medication, all of these things just prevent him from realizing that he's in the wrong funeral parlor because of course he is. And there's something very specific about him being in funeral parlor B as well. I don't know why, Hmm. like he's meant to be in funeral parlor B and it's like, he couldn't even get in my head. I was thinking he couldn't even get the A-list. He might be in the A-list parlor there, but he, even when booking his mother's funeral, he got funeral parlour B, which sort of suggests not the top one. If that makes sense?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Wouldn't that sum it up nicely? Anyway,
3: and of course B is for
2: Becca. For Becca, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Book Becca is what, uh, is what you need to do. <laughs> I can't start that again. I can already imagine Peter being really annoyed about that. I do apologize, but look, when it's relevant, it's relevant. That's it. That's it. Anyway, that's almost everything, Michael. But Despite all of this, despite all of our heartache and, Mm -hmm. what was it used to say? Heartache and something. I can't remember. Someone can tell me about that. We do still have time, though, for one last thing, and then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Would you like to go first or second?
3: I'll go first, because it's only a short one, and as you kind of pointed out when you started your brilliant horse and around section, it's tough to extract extras from this episode more than what we got. Um, it's putting over Will Arnett basically because kind of I stayed away from mentioning this in the Cold Open, but he voices Butterscotch as well. So this is uh, both on screen and off a one man show. It's Will Arnett from start to exhilarate and finish, and what a show! What a performance! Um, two voices, distinct but detailed, and like I just want to put that over really. Like we as two people couldn't do the amazing job. Of this one doing his, Um, it's an art, and he's an artist. This was great. Well,
2: it's it's absolutely incredible, and I think actually it was almost a fun exercise to read that through, just to realize how difficult it actually was. I mean, I know we like, well, some of us do voiceovers for a living, but not the way that (laughs) Will Arnett does voiceovers. Not even in the same ballpark. Um, And it's just incredible, genuinely incredible to see how uh, how good it was. Anyway, um, my one for this week. Uh, is a great one, I have to be honest. Um, but it doesn't come from this episode, funnily enough. It comes from last episode, or the last episode, um, season five, episode five, uh, which, in which Bojack is on the phone to Princess Carolyn. She gives him a call when she's trying to sort out his day, as he's getting upset because he gets the, the uh, shawarma truck in and everybody thinks it's from <laughs> Mr. Bean <laughs> instead of him. But during that phone call, over a bunch of things, he's talking about um, the lines that he's been given and how many lines he's got laying, and he jokes about, who does he think I am? Young Sheldon? And he's shouting down the phone. But then he talks <laughs> about how no show should have that much talking. TV. Michael Hamflit is a visual medium, is what Bojack says in Season 5. five. No show should have that much talking. TV is a visual medium. And the very next episode they decide to give us an entire episode of Bojack talking by himself because Bojack Horseman is better than the show you like,
3: and that's the end of that. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Well found, well found as well.
2: Well spotted. Magical, magical stuff. This very, very good indeed. But there you go. That is the end of another powerhouse episode of Bojack Horseman, and indeed all of the analysis for this week's episode of Podcast Horseman, which means. All that's left for us to do is our usual plug. So if you've enjoyed this episode of Podcast Horseman and would like more or would like to send abuse to either of your podcast, <laughs> or indeed praise if you're feeling that way inclined, we know, we, 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 we'd we take both, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you can do just that. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. And if you'd like to follow myself or Michael Hamflit, you can do just that as well. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit
3: at Michael michaelhamflip and um, you can get this podcast on apple Podcasts where you can subscribe we would love you to do that on spotify where we can where you can follow we'd love you to do that um on amazon music where if you use that service i understand it is just as good as all the other music streaming services and indeed you can get it on ACAST, where we uh, upload that every friday on the app podcast awesome twitter feed that can be subscribed to that can be streamed google it man Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can hopefully find Podcast Horseman. If you can't, let us know, because we'll get the goddamn podcast on your podcast app of choice. Look, I'm going to stop Ted dancing around things, and I'm just going to get (laughs) to this week's Hollywood talk of fame. As I said at the start of the episode for season five, um, we're doing things a little bit differently. Normally, we would ask for a five-star review, if your podcast app allows. By all means, please chuck one of them on us. It uh, rigs the charts in our favour, and we love seeing Podcast Horseman in amongst the top TV review shows. But uh, for this season especially, we're going to be giving out stars for a quote tweet. Um, every Friday, we're going to send a tweet out. And if you want to quote tweet that to all your followers with a few words about the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. It gets uh, the word about about the podcast. It gets more people talking themselves horse about a talking horse, which is what at underscore nerd13 underscore did with the same name, nerd13, for last week's episode. And I thought this was particularly fitting based on the fact that we have very much literally talked ourselves horse to this one. Nerd13 simply tweeted... I have nothing to say other than watch this show and listen to this podcast. Nerd 13, I wish I was succinct as you. That's a perfect <laughs> quote, a great recommendation for this show, especially this episode, I suppose. Uh, a start in Hollywood Talk fame it's coming its way over the usual social channels very soon.
2: Yes, indeed it will. And thank you to everybody who sends in those uh, five-star reviews. And you will all be soon getting your stars, I promise. Because I think we're at the halfway point now, aren't we, of this season? Yes. Kind of feels like it might be a good time to maybe start dishing out a few stars. I know we have a few backed up. Anyway, let's talk about next week's episode, shall we, before we disappear? Um, We are going to be doing season one, episode one of Becca. Uh, Let's have a look (laughs) here. No, of course we're not. I promise you that's the last time I'll mention Becca on this podcast. Well, maybe not the last name, but last time for this episode, we are going to be doing Season 5, Episode 7 of BoJack Horseman, Michael. Stop getting it confused. And this one is called int.sub, as in internal sub. Um, Diane's therapist encourages her to set boundaries with BoJack. A missing string cheese ignites a dispute between <laughs> Todd and Princess. Carolyn. So at least, Michael, it sounds like we're going to get some stupidity back into our lives, which after that, I promise you is very, very much needed. But if you want to find out what happens on next week's episode, well, you're just going to have to come back because we will have all of the analysis and a lot less beggar on the next episode <laughs> of Podcast Horseman. Anyway, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflip. And this has been Podcast Horseman.